Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you as always by the crew at nextlevelbrands.com. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, check out the services offered at nextlevelbrands.com. Workshops, founder coaching, fractional marketing and sales resources, and a whole lot more. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Take your brand to the next level with Next Level Brands. Hi, I'm Steve Clear. We have another round of, we have, excuse me, another edition of our round two shows today. Now, round two is where we go back and catch up with a guest and their company to see how things have changed in the ensuing time. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Will Nitze. Will is the founder and CEO of IQ Bar, a Boston-based brain and body nutrition company. After studying psychology as an undergrad, Will became fascinated with the human brain and how it functions. Then in his mid-20s, he experienced chronic failings with his own brain, including daily headaches, that he traced back to a high-carb diet. By eliminating staples like bread and pasta, he staged a full cognitive recovery. In 2017, after failing to identify ready-to-eat products that matched his new regimen, he began tinkering in his apartment kitchen on a protein bar that optimized brain and body nutrition. After countless iterations, he launched a successful crowdfunding campaign and incorporated IQ Bar. While the product has long evolved over the years, Will's mission of empowering doers through better nutrition has never wavered. IQ Bars are now sold in over 7,500 U.S. locations and all major e-commerce platforms. Welcome back to the program, Will. Thanks for having me. It's been a hell of a ride. It, it has. It has. That's Yeah. And and as we were saying pre, pre-recording, Last time I talked to you was pre-pandemic. Oh yeah, pre, pre-precipice of World War Three and pre a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we start there for the the benefit of folks? When I first spoke to you it was pre-pandemic. There was a lot of whipsawing, a lot of things changed, a lot of the challenges, you know, personal challenges and whatever else that were going on at the time, supply chain challenges. You were sailing into the pandemic. How did it affect you? How did it affect the company? Yeah, it was a weird, I mean, I think, I mean, there are certain businesses where you're dead in the water. Like if you're a restaurant, you're dead in the water. There were certain businesses where it was perversely good, just from a pure business standpoint, right? If you sold toilet paper or <laughs> hand sanitizer, yes, it was objectively a positive biz, pure business development or Zoom or Peloton or whatever. And then there was everyone in the middle <clears throat> where it was like good in some ways, not good in other ways. And net-net, and you either came out ahead or, or not ahead. And I think, you know, so for nutrition bars, the category slowed down in brick and mortar for sure, but e-commerce dramatically outpaced, like the rise in e-commerce dramatically outpaced that brick and mortar slowdown. Right. Net-net-net for us. And I think that's partially, I mean, that's highly contingent on your business model, right? If you have a large e-commerce presence, you can come out net positive there. And if you don't, you won't. So it's maybe that speaks more to our business model and, and our omni-channel breakdown than it does about the category of nutrition or protein bars. But that was the case for us. And so we we actually grew in the pandemic quite a bit while trying to figure out, okay, what does the future of brick and mortar look like? And what, what are the trends going to be in brick and mortar? And you know, there's just all these weird implications of the pandemic. Like people don't want to touch single bars. You don't want 10 hands going in one box. So, okay, maybe you want to try and shift to multi-packs. 
just little ticky tacky things like that. But pro- probably the biggest thing. So that, that that was like the business, you know, revenue based implications. But I mean, the biggest things were supply chain related. And yeah. I mean, it was just insane that the the queue of cargo ships <coughs> in the LA Harbor down to the queue of containers sitting in the Chicago rail yard down to, I mean, there are certain things you quite literally could not get sort of like now with the, the Russia Ukraine thing with sunflower oil. Sunflower oil. Yep. Yeah. Like, but, but, but back in the pandemic, it was like, you could not get certain things, inulin, allulose, like, like there are just certain things. If your life depended on it, you could not get it, which was just wild to me. I mean, that's a wild dynamic. If you have an, product that has 10 inputs and then all of a sudden one of the inputs is literally not procurable what do you do so anyway it was just a really really bizarre time we had brought so we were actually okay on the out-of-stock front in 2020 but 2021 it just things just got crazy like worse than 2020 and i don't think we were fully in stock a single day in 2021 well, we were we had stock, but just never had a period where all SKUs were in stock. Right there was so there was a I, I mean, we learned a lot about the the fragile nature of just in time manufacturing or just in time supply chain. But there was there was this thing of it, if it wasn't an ingredient you needed in the formula, it was the packaging or something right. as, as silly as cardboard. It's like, are yeah. you kidding me? I, I have all I have all the product sitting here. I have no cardboard. I have no boxes to put it in. What you know, what's going and then if I do put it in a box, it's two weeks for a truck to show up. How, how does that work? You know, it was it, it yeah, it, and that's still rippling through some now it's getting better. And you know, the last few weeks I've had some conversations with people in the packaging business about how they're looking and they're saying, hey, it's gonna be okay. You know, let's just hold our breath a little bit, get through Q4. But we think it's kind of calmed down. It's like, well, I sure hope so because it was a, a rough ride, you know. We had five million dollars, uh, five million wrappers stuck in the rail yard in Chicago. We could not get them, and and, and so they. I think we had played. It took them like I think it was something like four or five months to just get them to the rail yard. Once they're in the rail yard, they're just sitting there. We're like, what? How could we drive? Could we rent a truck and go pick them up ourselves? Like th- that's the most frustrating thing. It's sitting there and we can't get our product. And there were even like bribe people would go and bribe the people or try yes. to bribe the people at the rail yards. And yep. And it, yeah, you're right. I mean, the pack <coughs> the packaging was the worst element for a while. And you couldn't get chipboard, you couldn't get corrugated board, you know, cardboard. And if you have, let's call it 35 inputs across, you know, whatever, seven SKUs in our case, it just takes one of those inputs to fail. That's it. And the whole thing yeah. blows up and your your business comes to a screeching halt. So I don't think people realize or realized how fragile CPG companies are until you could literally could not procure one of those 35 things. How, how did you approach that, Will, from a CEO standpoint within your operations? What what did you do besides panic and and you know say a lot of bad words? You know when you were kind of experiencing it in 2020, how did you prepare for 2021, and how did you in 2021 prepare for this year? I mean, there is no, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to prepare. There's only so much preparing you can do. I think 
There are certain standard operating procedures that you you change that I think are, are the most useful. <clears throat> so you, you mentioned just in time. So switching from just in time to, okay, now I'm going to procure two to three production runs worth of stuff versus one. Right. That is a game changer. It just means that you're, you know, your out of stock risk is dramatically lower. Of course, there's no free lunch in any of this. Now you have to outlay three times more cash. Yeah. So, but it's sort of like, which problem would you rather deal with? Not being able to produce the thing you sell or having to come up with a bunch of cash. And you'll always take the latter. There's, there's always a way to find cash. In my experience, that when you can't find wrappers, you can't find wrappers. So that, that was kind of a key one. Certainly supplier redundancies, although that's kind of, that's a, I think people say like, oh, just develop redundancies. It's, it's actually really hard to do. And in many cases, I think, you know, with wrappers or caddies or whatever, yeah, maybe you can do that. But still, like one, one company's wrapper is subtly different from another's. Yep. And one person's caddy is subtly different than another's. And then when you get into ingredients, unless you're talking pure commodity, like flax seeds or almonds or whatever, you know, there just is going to be variation. So redundancies are, I think people flippantly say that, and it's that realizing how hard it is to build redundancy. So that's why I prefer the, you know, the let's buy three production runs worth of stuff versus let's build out a bunch of redundancies and, and protect cash flow more. So and try to try to it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at this at this time, so e-commerce is increasing when we went into pandemic. You were also, of course, still pursuing conventional retail. Conventional retail kind of just fell off the face of the earth for a little while. But then it as it started to come back, um, were you able to hit targets for your retail distribution going going out? Yeah, I, I, we did. I mentioned earlier, I alluded to earlier, the switch from singles to multi-packs. That, like, that is definitely something we're still trying to do. The more accounts we can convert to multi-packs, the better. It's just, just better to sell four bars at once than one bar at a time. So we, we made that shift in a couple of retailers, which was great. But yeah, I mean, like Walmart, for instance, which is one of our biggest accounts, still got really good traffic. I think they've seen a slowdown in like in, in clothing and things like that. But through the whole pandemic, they had people, no one stopped going to Walmart, for instance. And, and so we, yeah, we were able to do well. And, you know, Wegmans, same with Wegmans, same with Sprouts. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, we launched in Sam's Club and that was our first club launch. And that was really great. Totally different dynamic, as you know. We had never had, you know, be, we had never sold shoppable pallets before and had to <laughs> make yeah. the make new packs and right. make the corrugate around it and and who's the buyer there and will this resonate with the buyer and what's the price point that'll work and yada 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 and that was you know a great development because we did it and succeeded at it so that's the other thing it's like forget the pandemic there are all these things you'd have to develop learnings on anyway anyway that are like irrespective of the, of the pandemic, but yep. now you're having to do it. And that's like this X factor. Although now, you know, I think by now we're, we're kind of out of it. So that that's subsiding, but there's always something right now. It's price increases. Yeah. Inflation. Inflation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's going to be a, probably an ongoing, oh, ongoing saga. Although I mentioned some of the packaging people I was talking to, that was one of the reasons I was talking to was is to say, Hey, what are you guys seeing? And they're saying, well, we're seeing like probably one more increase in Q4 
and then we'll see what happens. Everybody talks about Ukraine. You didn't imagine that that many things came out of Ukraine, but it's the it's right. the buff it's the buffer effect. It's not just the sunflower oil, which actually does come out of Ukraine. It's the buffer effect of what happens when prices go, fuel prices go up, other prices go up, and you know we're very you know very settled on that. So, wheat. I mean, wheat was the crazy one because there's wheat's in everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, I also, I see gluten free all over the place, but I still see wheat everywhere too. So I don't I know how that works out. Did you, when you were looking at that, Will, did you, you went through a change of formula, right? A while back on the bars. <clears throat> yeah, we started with allulose and then we shifted over to sweet fiber and stevia extract for a variety of reasons. I mean, the big one was you. I mean, there's a lot of annoyances with allulose. You can't sell the whole foods, which I'm not quite sure why that's still the case, but is the case. Okay. I think they're maybe conflating it with GMO and there just aren't, there, there is non-GMO allulose available. So why that's not, that's not okay is I, I don't know, but also you couldn't get it. You know, that that's the bigger right. issue. You <laughs> quite literally reason. couldn't get it. So good luck getting it in 2020, back half of 2020 and then 2021. It's expensive. If you could get it, it's really expensive, you know. And then there's certain chemical reactions that occur with allulose that I won't get into. But anyway, a variety of reasons. We're like, okay, let's let's see if we can shift away from this, improve gross margin, improve the product, yada yada. But I think a lot of people had to do that. Like like if you had inulin in your product, you had to like come up with some other Something. solution. I mean, yeah. If you let's say you wanted to keep fiber the same, well, go you got to go find another fiber. Maybe it's like agave fiber, or I mean, it was crazy there for a bit with inulin because inulin's in so much stuff, right? aka chicory root fiber. Yep, so much stuff like tons of yogurts, like anything that wants to be prebiotic in nature. Odds are it has inulin in it, and you could not find inulin. So I think what we were going through was I we were probably one of ten thousand other companies trying to figure that out. Yeah. There's a, there's a tendency when there's a particular product that works really well for delivering one particular essence to the product. And then everybody goes, Oh, I got to have that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, yeah. And I wonder about pea protein, how many peas are actually grown? <laughs> you know, right. And I'm going, can't all, just overnight, you just don't change your field from wheat to peas. I mean, how, how does that, how does that work? But obviously, you know, they're, they're ramping up pea protein on a crazy basis too. Well, it's all, so much of it is what's clean label and what's cheap, like, and, and what's, what packs a punch? Like, like what's the cost per unit of thing I want to deliver in this case, protein. And just, it just is way more cost-effective and still clean label to get protein from peas versus pumpkin seeds versus hemp versus almonds versus whatever. And so it's just it's just a great crop in in that regard, and so I think a lot of people are just like seeing the writing on the wall. We're all moving to plant protein. Where can we get eighty percent of a powder to be protein at a cost effective rate? Well, looks like it's peas, and yeah, I mean once once that determination's made, it's like everyone wants peas. Everybody everyone wants to go wants pea protein, but Canada uh, I think is the is the big big player there. So yeah, pretty 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 amazing stuff. Let me ask you about. The new product line, hydration. How did you come up with that as an extension? And and can you talk to us a little bit about how you decided to market that differently than the bar in the beginning? Yeah, 
I think it's there's a lot of philosophical disagreement on on SKU strategy, product line strategy, brand strategy. <clears throat> I think a lot of people would would say like just focus, just focus, hit some form factor. If you can achieve product market fit, ride that form factor to whatever fifty million bucks. Let's say I think that's viable. I think you have to have really good product market fit to do that. But I think that's certainly viable. I prefer a different strategy, which is the platform strategy, which is, okay, find your... your Because I, I tend to think of IQ Bar as a brain and body nutrition company that happens to sell bars. But bars is just the form factor. If you could get that into someone's body and through some other form factor, cool. Like that, you know, that's that works. So... Bars just happen to be a, a very convenient delivery mechanism and a massive category and people understand it and yada, yada. Like that's yeah, why we're there. But so, okay, like if you want to be a brain and body nutrition company, what other ways can you, what other occasions can you play in throughout, throughout a consumer's day and what other value propositions can you offer? And which of those you know, occasions and value propositions are coherent with our broader mission of improve the way your brain and body works? But hydration is just so satiation is bars, right? Just I'm going to snack on something and that should be healthier than not healthy. And then the same goes for hydration, right? Highly, highly relevant to how you perform on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who's, you know, just try not drinking water for half the day and see, see how well you think yeah. but, uh, or, or let alone exercise. So, and then you know, why the form factor of a of a powdered stick pack similar to the bar thing. It's like, okay, what, you know, want to get XYZ nutrients into the body, in this case, sodium, potassium, and then certain brain nutrients that magnesium, L3, and 8, the trademark being magtine, and then lion's mane. Okay, I want to get all those things in your body. Well, what's a good delivery mechanism? Liquid IV had really paved the, the road on, on that form factor, the powdered and I guess kind of Crystal Light and other people before them, but they were they yeah. really blew it up in the hydration context. So it's a like, cool, you know, they did that. The unit economics are great because you're you're shipping powder. It's very light, not, and not glass and water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so we'll do that. That'll be the form factor. But again, you're just working backwards from the same mission of how do I get these certain nutrients into your body. And then it just so happens that a convenient form factor in that case is a stick pack powder. And when you decided to launch that, will you decided to do do it strictly e-commerce? Yeah, yeah. And and so that's kind of like the hybrid between the the focus and platformize models. Cause <clears throat> if you wanted to like really platformize, it's like, okay, we'll we'll put this in brick and mortar and e-commerce and maybe we'll sell to this international party over here too because they want in and we we said okay we don't really want to do that we're a very small team or six people we want to be healthily omni-channel in the bar front and actually probably most of our net growth will come from brick and mortar on a go forward basis on that that sure. factor but it took us like four years to get there and we were majorly e-commerce weighted on bars for years. And now this is a new nascent product. And do we want to be omni-channel? Because omni-channels are so different. They're the pack size type dimensions, what's on the pack, all that you're truly optimizing for, let's say e-commerce over here or brick and mortar over there. 
adds so much complexity. And so do we want to add that complexity? We're already adding complexity by having two product lines in the first place. We want to add like sub complexity under one of those. And basically we just said, no, you know, don't, why do that? And it's also just a different category. Like it's hard to have a really fast moving, you know, drinks ready to drink drinks, coconut water, right. Coca-Cola, whatever it is that doesn't translate to stick pack powders. No one's like, that's not like a really fast moving thing on the shelf. Cause it's not, it's a delayed gratification. You're not drinking it then and there. It's a more thoughtful purchase. Anyway, it's just, just different. It doesn't map as well to, to brick and mortar. So that just made the, the, the decision process easier to just go e-com on that. And if you were going into brick and mortar, where would you sell? I mean, who, who would buy? I mean, is it supplement buyer? Is it a, would you be in the drinks section hanging on a J hook or what, how would that work? No, it's like, there's, <clears throat> I don't know what the exact set is called. It's a hydration set. Okay. But yeah. it's, you know, it's liquid IV, it's bio steel, it's noon, it's. That's um, right. Yep. And I think like tangent, I, so, uh, yes, I did supplements in most cases, like to the right of that, I'll be like collagen powders and protein powders. And right. So that is the world you're living in, but it's weird because it's like a food, you know, or food slash drink or a supplement. It's like, you're kind of straddling that. So it, that's why it's just kind of a weird category. But yeah, it's it's just much, it's just a way different ball game than a bar where you can like buy it, peel it open, eat it on your car ride home, whatever. It's, it's there's more of a process to it. So it just maps better to e-commerce, in my opinion. You you mentioned the team and your lean, your lean team, still a lean startup, as it were. How did you build the team out over the last couple of years? And you know, and 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 the, and the whys. Why did you choose some expertise and stuff and not others? Yeah. I mean, building a team for, for starters is the hardest thing to do in startup land, in my opinion. It's just, especially if you want to build a small team, which I, I've always preferred to a bigger team. I don't, I don't like, I left corporate America because I don't, I don't want a bigger team. I want a startup vibe. And once it stops being that, it stops being fun for me. So, and then of course, there's the whole business model implications of having a small team, keeping SGNA low is just a better business model. How sustainable it is, that's another thing. But pure dollars and cents, it's just better to have a smaller team. So then, of course, the question is, okay, if you're only going to have six, seven people, those people are really, really important. And the the roles you choose to hire for and not hire for are really, really important. So, you know, I think the progression, if I remember correctly, was like, it was me, I was doing 50 jobs. Then I hired a, I was like, okay, <coughs> okay I need two roles. Um, I need someone to handle the creative and social media and things like that. And I need an ops and supply chain person. I hired those two roles. When I first raised money, I was like, great. Now I can focus on sales and marketing. And in our website business, we'll get an agency for Amazon. And we could like run the business like that. I think it was a multi-million dollar, it's like a $2 million business at that level with a tiny, tiny team. And, and then it was like, okay, we've grown we need someone to manage the digital business. We need a CEO of the digital business, basically. And we also need that person to double as a kind of a head, like sit over all the marketing. So that, so then I hired Jess on our team who, who runs all that. And then it was like, okay, we have too much operational complexity. We need someone to help the COO slash CFO, ops person, ops and supply chain person 
with just invoicing, like chasing down payments, right? Uh, setting up ED, setting up EDI, yada yada. Yep, yep. And then, and by and I was still the head of sales, quote unquote, through this period. But then at some point that breaks, you know, like, <clears throat> or it doesn't break. It just becomes clear that you would benefit from having someone do that all the time. So then, then I hired a head of sales, brick and mortar sales. And yeah, so it's just kind of been like, what do you, and I'm sort of the flex. So like, I, I, you know, I'll be the head of the website business and then I'm not, and then I'm head of sales and then I'm not, and then I'm, you know, head of product and then I'm not. So you as a CEO, I think have to be able to plug holes. You kind of have to be decent at everything or good at ideally at everything. But yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're six person, there's six office folks. Right. And then we have a guy, Nick, who runs our, we actually run our own warehouse and then ah, we have okay. two other guys who work for us. And, and that's a whole decision tree in and of itself, but still very lean. Yeah. Is there, is there trepidation when you, when your sales VP of sales or sales main sales hire goes and does a major account call without you? Ideally not. No, I mean, there's always, uh, that's also one of the really, really hard things about being an entrepreneur is every entrepreneur is kind of a control freak. And (laughs) yeah, like you, yes, you would always say something different than anyone would say something. doesn't mean that you would say it better. It's just everyone has their own predilections and preferences of positions to take, ways to word things, yada, yada. So I think, yeah, maybe at first, but then you you see results and you also just don't have the time. You're like, I don't even, like, if you can go do that thing, and there's some pretty good result, great. Because I literally don't have the time to do it. Right. So you, you, you're sort of even forced into delegating at some point. But yeah, I mean, look, we just did a Costco roadshow where we were selling at four Costco locations as sort of a pilot. I was there. I was on the floor. I was sure. there 11 hours a day. So it's, I'm still doing the, the, the nitty gritty stuff to, to close accounts or to do my part in closing accounts uh, and probably will be, you know, for another couple of years. So it never fully goes away. No, no, you can delegate, but that doesn't mean it's all, you know, it's, it's probably one of the harder things for scaling a CPG company is you know you need the founder you need the founder's passion the founder's vision the drive the energy whatever but at some point in time if they're not able to delegate if they're not able to understand that there has to be this growth you, you can plateau i mean you can just come to a point where it's not really moving forward the way it needs to needs to move forward well let me ask you about because you have the 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 bar line and the different flavors and stuff when you're doing your R and D or when you're kicking around ideations or whatever else, are you looking to add to the bar line in terms of flavors or functions or whatever, or are you at the point where most of your target audience is satisfied with the flavors and stuff you have now? Yeah, it's a good question. And there are definitely brands that roll out the limited edition, what, you know, fill in the blank. I think we want to do that. We did it. We've done it once and it was successful. So uh, yeah, it's just like a, it's a capacity thing. I I think most people are reducing SKUs, not expanding SKUs right now. 
so that that's that's the backdrop of, of this yeah. this conversation, which I kind of agree with. Don't just adding SKUs to add SKUs is not a linear relationship with increasing revenue. If you can sell one SKU in 10 stores, you're better off selling them to an incremental 10 stores than, in my opinion, than like trying to like go do a science project, come out with another SKU that may or may not work, and then selling that, right? I think like RX bar, some huge amount of their revenue came from chocolate sea salt, right? One yeah. SKU. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I think the same was true for Quest Bar with with chocolate chip cookie dough. And right. So everyone has like their their hero skews. So that's my general sense is less skews is better. But I do think there's a nice hybrid between less or more skews, which is less skews, but then you have these limited edition, the seasonal flavors and things like that. Just sort of like excites people. It's it adds novelty. So that's kind of my preferred method. I think we'll try and get in more solidly into that camp versus just rolling out new new permanent flavors. Yep. I was it was I was looking at a in category and like trail mixes and stuff and and all these different types of products or ingredients people are putting putting into quote unquote trail mixes. And I, I was looking at something and I said, you know, the thing about this is is you've expanded the 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 range of stuff to put in there. And 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 it, it looks like some people's idea of creating a new trail mix is to put 16 different ingredients into the you know into the bag and it's like when i started thinking about the fact that you know every new ingredient you add actually eliminates some portion of your audience because they don't like that ingredient not only does it complicate your formula to hell i mean you know right but there's a licorice oh god no i don't touch that okay all right so you know whatever or cardamom why do i want card i don't know but i don't like cardamom so i'm not going to buy this you know you get into that you know sometimes less is more in that sense. So totally. I mean, what should what's the original trail mix? It's like M&M's raisin, raisins like oats and honey or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, something. Like, yep. Yep. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what it got popular for a reason. That's always the like challenge I think is you want to differentiate without ostracizing. Yeah. You're always straddling those two that the line between those two things. Do you do a lot of survey stuff or communication stuff with your with your audience, with your customers to try to help figure out? Yeah, we, we do. We have like a checkout, checkout survey. And I think, and this is more Jess's domain than mine. It runs our digital business, but we do. I'll, t- I'll tell you though, this Costco Roadshow was the single best surveying mechanism I've ever done in my life because we saw, obviously it's better to speak in you know face-to-face. Right. And you can ask follow-up questions and whatever. So that, that's just better. The sheer volume is just wild. I mean, we, we probably had 10,000 conversations. So, I mean, that's, if you want to get a ton of feedback and just right. learn how do people shop, how do they shop for themselves? How do they shop for their kids? It's a really big one. Right. Is keto dying? Is keto fine? Is whatever. You know, like if you want insight on dietary trends, <clears throat> go do it's a roadshow at, 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 at yeah. like Costco, Sam's Club, BJ's, whatever. And you will find out. So that was the best customer data gathering exercise I've ever done by far. And you were able to do sampling on the roadshow, right? So yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Did you? But it's interesting. There's like a difference between sampling and then what what will work in the store, right? So take take banana, right? Yeah, yep. We sold more banana than any other flavor, but then it's like, okay, that's cool, but we were sampling it. 
And when it's on the shelf, you're not sampling it. I mean, you can sample it, but you're not going to sample it every day. And so people's perception of banana is that that's a polarizing flavor to a degree. Mm-hmm. So now you're getting into the psychology of you're like, oh, great. We sold more of this than anything else. Like, well, hold on. How, how's it going to be perceived on shelf when it's not being sampled? And there's, there's all these second order considerations. So it's, it's a bit nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. It's the old, it's the old new Coke story of you yeah. know, new Coke tested fine against old Coke as long as you know they didn't tell people that it was old Coke they were testing against. As soon mm. as they did that, it came back differently. So it's like, yeah. You know, another cola. Oh, yeah, I like this one better. Yeah. But my classic Coke. Oh, no, no, no. That's still still really the best. So we've got hydration. We got the bar business is growing and whatever else. What what are you looking at down the line for, uh, you know? I, I, I like a lot of categories. I, I, I have a problem of I get excited by a lot of things. And it's like I have to be. <laughs> this is another good quality of a good team member is they'll tell you. They'll keep you in check because, uh, you know, entrepreneurs are crazy people to a yeah. degree <clears throat> and they're, they want to be entrepreneurial even within their company. Right. So it's like, cool, this thing worked. Let's go do this thing too. And so heck of, I would play in five categories if I could, but probably we cap it out at three for at least the next two, three years. I like sleep a lot. I like coffee a lot. I like habitual things a lot. Right. Um, so, so hydration is largely habitual, but I mean, coffee is even more habitual. Sleep is, of course, the, the most habitual. Yep. We do all we'll yep. do it every night. And so, yeah, I'm kind of trying to I'm trying to look at like, okay, what are the things relevant to the brand? Again, they have to be consistent, coherent. Zero sugar, you know, zero sugar next to zero sugar, keto, clean label, vegan, yada yada. All has to work. The right. same dietary plane has to be relevant to the brain and brain and body performance, and then has to be a good category. And so anyway, those are two that I'm really interested in is like instant coffee or other forms of coffee and like a sleep gummy or tab or whatever. Yeah. Something that works in, in that that realm. There has been, I mean, not just because of the pandemic, but there has also been since when I first started consulting with startups, I worked with a cognitive nutrition bar, which was a great formula, awesome stuff, but the person who was pushing it forward had mission down, but not business. <laughs> so it was like, this is kind of, well, you know, there's really ways you can't do this because of X or whatever, but it's like, no, we got to, we got to stay on the mission. But it seems to me as though that whole idea people's, people's drawing the line between what you eat and how you think or how you function has increased tremendously in the last few years, which has got to be a benefit for you, right? The whole idea of cognitive nutrition. Just, I mean, the fact that we say the words is huge in terms of that recognition between intake and, you know, and output. Yeah. And I think beverage is always a couple of years ahead of food. So we said like coffee, right? Is the classic example. You drink coffee, you think better. We all know that people who drink coffee do it every day. So there's a very, when, when you're dealing with things like stimulants, in this case, caffeine, it's quite obvious because there's this physiological response and it's just, you can't deny it. Like there's a euphoric feeling when you have coffee and you quit literally type faster and, <laughs> and all that. And, and so that line, those dots are easy to connect the, the nutrition piece less. So, so it, it always like lag that a bit, but yeah, I think, I think over time, anyone who's done, anyone who's cut carb carbs out of their diet or low, lowered their carb intake, ate more fats, just, just taking broad strokes 
uh, made broad strokes change, changes to their diet, can sense that it, they feel better, they think better, and all that. I'm not super bullish on like the the, the true mass marketization of smart food or smart drinks or, or what have you. I think there are certain players like C4 Energy Drink has a SKU called Super Brain. I think it's called. <clears throat> it's pretty damn mass market. It's in like every you know yeah. C store out there. And it's a brain, you know, the, the messaging very brain forward and yada, yada. Again, similar to coffee, right? It's caffeine, but it yep. also has these other comp, micronutritional compounds that are really interesting. And so I think the mass marketization is maybe more possible with drinks, but this is where it's, it gets so nuanced with food is, and, and take bars, you have to check off 10 other things before you can even tell the brain food story. So no one cares about that cognition piece unless in this category, unless you're hitting the right protein count, the protein source, the carb count, or maybe they don't. And if they don't care about carbs, they almost certainly care about sugar to a degree. Sure. Yeah. And But so you, you got to check 10 boxes before you even get to the, the brain piece. <laughs> Whereas drinks, it's like, actually, you can kind of start with the brain piece. Yeah. Yeah, because the assumption of the liquid is there, that's gonna that's a gonna perform a certain you know case for me, so that's okay. But then what I add to it, you know, whether it's caffeine or anything else, be different. One other thing, Will, is capital, access to capital. Obviously, you've grown the company a lot. You've had to have capital. How did you go about that, and and how was that journey different from what you thought it was going to be? Yeah. One of the harder things about CBG because it's a capital intensive business and also you don't get the same valuations you get with like tech. Right. Although those are converging now over time, but it, tech will always be have higher multiples. But yeah, I mean, and w- my belief was always be the majority shareholder in the business, control your destiny, have autonomy over your company. Like that's like the golden rule. And so working backwards from that, how many rounds do we think we'll have to raise? How much money in those rounds we raise? What valuations do we want to hit? Just play out the dilution game and and cool. When we're a self-sustaining business, we can run independently and we're profitable. Let's make it so that once we hit that point after X amount of rounds, we still control our own destiny. And fortunately, we, we have been able, we have been able to do that. It's taken a lot of machinations. Basically, the long and short of it being raise less money more often. So, you know, if your analog peer company would raise 4 million, raise 1.8, you know, or two or something in that instance. And and then the next year, raise another two. Because you you raised two, you know, two, two times instead of four one time, you arbitraged your your increase in value and less dilutive. So it sucks in many ways. It's not fun to raise money more often. It's more of a distraction. But if you can thread that needle, you can just you can avoid dilution along the way and make everyone win, right? And still make investors a great return and, and all that. So that's been the goal. And, and the other broad strokes thing I would say is angels. Heck, if you could raise money from angels the whole way, do it. Like just do it. It's just better. And that's coming from a guy who raised money from Circle Up, who's a VC. And Circle Up's great. And Karen Howland, who's an MD there, sits on our board, is great. Like she's the best in the biz. Uh, but you know, 
that VCs are VCs and they're like the best of them, in my opinion. But I still would say, and I'd say to her, like, you know, if you can raise from angels, do it. It's just right. VCs will admit that that's better, you know, who are being honest. It's just at some point, there's how many like million dollar checks can an individual write? Not, there's not yeah. that many. So no, at some no. point, you got to go to go the institutional route. It's just how long can you stave that off? You'll probably get there eventually and then pick wisely. But uh, yeah, that would be the other broad strokes thing I would say. Awesome. Well, you know, Will, it's been great having you back on for round two and and hearing about all the changes and stuff. I appreciate I know you're very busy, but glad you could share that, share it with our, our audience. One of the things is you might remember from the first show that we do is we have a little segment called Words to Grow By. And it can be a word, it can be a quote, it can be whatever you want. The idea is basically what you want to leave behind for fellow entrepreneurs based on your journey so far. So you got something for us? It's, yeah, I was thinking, you mentioned this at the outset, and then I was like in the back of my mind thinking thinking about it. Well, the problem I have with these prompts sometimes is like, I'll say something and it'll be really trite, but for me in my own head, it's not because I have some new perception of it. So what I'll say is think bigger, which is kind of like the, I think the Apple slogan back in like the nineties. Anyway, I, I just have a new appreciation for it. It sounds so pedestrian, I guess, in, in its nature and kind of trite, but it's actually just true. There, there's this concept that it takes roughly the same amount of energy to build a, an entity of X size that it does to build an entity of two, three X size. It's just zeros. Yeah. And, and so you're just dealing with bigger numbers and, and bigger things, bigger problems, bigger whatever. And just think bigger in everything. You should think bigger in, in everything. Because if you're going to fail, you were going to fail anyway. You're going to fail at one third the size thing. And if you're going to succeed, you'll probably succeed too. So why not take bigger swings? I, I said to a founder once, Will, you know, you don't want to go to bankruptcy court for a hundred grand. <laughs> There's no point. You're going to go to bankruptcy court, go for 10 mil, you know, because yeah. it doesn't matter. The result is the same, but I like think bigger. That's actually good. We're going to use that. Cool. Awesome. Well, Hey, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And by all means, folks get IQ bar. What's the uh, website real quick? Eat, yeah. It's eatiqbar.com. E-A-T-I-Q-B-A-R.com. And it's available in a whole lot of places, including most of your major e-commerce platforms. And that's that's a good thing. I had mine this morning, so I just want people to know. It's all good. That's all right. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. Yeah, Appreciate the rest of you um, spending time with us today, by the way. Thanks for joining us in another show. Thanks also to nextlevelbrands.com for production assistance. We're always grateful for feedback and the comments we get. If you have an idea for a show topic or special guest, please feel free to reach out and let me know. I'm Steve Clear. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.